Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Cinema's Soft Underbelly. I'm your host, Eugene Weaver, and if you're listening, then you know what this show is all about. Horror, exploitation, fantasy, science fiction, gems in the rough, little seen movies, and movies that should be seen. Uh, And also a couple movies that maybe you should steer clear of. And today, I've got uh, a a nice uh, selection of movies here that I'd like to discuss real quick, give my thoughts on. Only one of them is kind of a dud, um, but it's still watchable, I guess you could say. So... um, I'm going to start with the best uh, right up front, and that is a movie that I watched last night. And I'll tell you what, I every now and then, and the older I get, the harder it is to find those gems in the rough because I've seen so many movies, uh, especially classic movies. At this point, I kind of know what are classics and what are not. Uh, I've, I've just seen so many, and the older I get, the more I seem to gravitate towards... Um, I gravitate towards older movies anymore. The slick shot new stuff just doesn't do it for me. I mean, unless it's a really big budget movie, then okay. But uh, turn on Netflix and there is literally hundreds of movies that were made in the last couple of years that you've never heard of with cool looking, well, somewhat cool looking covers, a couple B-list actors, and uh, and they suck. They Almost all of them seem to just suck. And, uh, for every, for every one good one that you find, it seems like there's 10 other ones that are complete wastes of time. Uh, and you know, it used to be like that for the video stores, you'd walk through the video store and there was tons of cool looking boxes and you're just hoping for a gem in the rough, but it seems to be even worse now than it used to be. Cause even those, the older ones seem to still have something fun in them. Uh, but these slickly shot new ones that, you can make a slickly shot movie on almost no budget, uh, and it shows. It totally shows. And somehow these movies are getting released on Netflix, um, not as much on Blu-ray, sometimes on Blu-ray and DVD, but Netflix is just kind of the dumping ground for trash. Uh, although Netflix Originals, that's which is interesting, Netflix original shows and programming right now is just phenomenal. I just on the recommendation of my co-host Eric Marner from Movie Freaks, he recommended I I should start watching Daredevil. And and this is a complete derail here already, but and we're going to be talking about this more on Movie Freaks next episode more than likely, but uh the original the Daredevil movie with Ben Affleck, I am not going to even waste any time on that thing. It wasn't good. I didn't like it at all. Um, but this is everything that that movie should have been in a TV show. And it's Netflix that is producing this and, and bringing it out. And it's cinema quality stuff versus the junk that's dumped on there from Asylum and any other no-name company uh, with you know horrible CGI, even worse actors, and a padded running time of 85 minutes, but it feels like three hours. And I just I hate them. So that's not what we're focusing on today, though. Today, it is nature has run, run amok. That's what the focus is today um, because of the movie I watched last night. And uh, I thought, you know, there's a couple other ones in there that I want to talk about as well, none of which are as good as the movie I watched last night, but they're still all worthy additions to this. And there's tons and tons of 
of the nature run amok type thing. Um, and I mean, there's a fine line between nature run amok and creature features. So it's kind of like, you know, you got for creature features, you got Jaws and Piranha and all, you know, all that type of movie. This kind of teeters on that line between creature feature and, and just nature run amok. Something is wrong with nature. So the movie I watched last night was from 1978 and it was called Long Weekend. And it was directed by Colin Eggleston. And he also, uh, he's made some other movies. He did, uh, his most recent movie is called The Wicked, which I actually have heard of, but I don't believe I've ever seen. But he did Sky Pirates and um, um, Innocent Prey. I believe I've heard of Innocent Prey. Uh, it hasn't done a ton of stuff. Cassandra was a horror movie from the uh, mid-80s. But anyway, his claim to fame in my opinion at least, is Long Weekend. When a suburban couple go camping for the weekend at a remote beach, they discover that nature isn't in an accommodating mood. So that's the synopsis on IMDb. I'm going to read the back of the Blu-ray here that I own, and I will say this right up front, Synopsy Films released it, and as with almost every single Synopsy release, it is fantastic for a transfer. They have a way of... uh, of doing transfers that retains the cinema feel of a movie, uh, film-like feel of a movie, yet cleaning it up to make it look spectacular, especially for a movie that is obviously a uh, a fairly low-budget movie. I mean, this is essentially just a couple actors. So uh, high, high marks for the fantastic transfer, and the sound is is quite well as as. As well, so the back of the movie here, the bo- the box of the Blu-ray, attempting to resurrect their failing marriage, Peter and Marcy, uh, or Mar, uh, I think it's Marcy, yeah, set out on a camping trip to a deserted stretch of the Australian coastline, hoping a long weekend in the sunshine will help them patch their differences. They are a careless couple, couple littering the countryside with garbage, shooting guns, and even driving away after wounding an, a can a kangaroo with their automobile. Their callous disregard for the environment soon becomes apparent when the animals start to seek revenge. And this may seem like it's big spoiler material here, but honestly, there's a lot more going on in this movie than the back of the box here. So, uh, Marcy and Peter have proven themselves to be destroyers of nature. Will the animals allow them to leave, or will they too be destroyed? Uh, So, that's what the movie is about. And I'll tell you what, if you are into slow burn... uh, creep out movies. This is it. Um, when you think of creature features, you do think kind of like cheesier type movies a lot of times. Um, that's not so with this. This almost feels like something, it's like a cross between a David Lynch movie and Blair Witch Project. If that remotely makes sense, and that's that maybe that is, maybe that's far from the mark, but it's such a surreal experience. Uh, it's not just a cut and dry black and white type affair here where uh, these this couple is just being tormented by animals. It's not that. It's more. Uh, and I wish that I could say more about it, but I would like uh, you, the listener, to, to discover this movie um, 
by yourself and, and, and come up with your own own conclusions because there is a lot going on in the movie, especially as the tension seems to just continue to ratchet up and up and up towards the end. Um, and maybe I'm reading more into it than I should, but I tell you what, it, for some reason, um, towards the end, it was just, it got creepier and creepier. And this is a lot of stuff during the daylight. I mean, there's creepy night scenes, but even during the daylight, the desolation and the loneliness um, and just not quite sure what's going on is fantastic and just gives you this horribly uneasy feel. And I love it. I love, 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 love that. Um, the last 20 minutes of the movie has pretty, pretty much no dialogue in it at all. And again, even some it, minor things like that just drive that tension up to to almost unbearable levels towards the end. And then the end is a aha, gotcha type thing. And I... I think that's great. I think that um, that 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 slow burn. So often, slow burn movies just seem to completely drop the ball uh, uh, towards the end with a good payoff. This I thought had a great payoff uh, and and made the movie. Because honestly, I wouldn't be giving this movie such high marks if it wouldn't be for the fact that that last twenty minutes where there's no dialogue and the tension keeps getting ratcheted up more and more and more and more um, to this stunning finale. I, I wouldn't have liked the movie as much. But with that, coupled with what came before it, I'm like, okay, that was a solid, solid movie. Uh, and some of the some of the notes on IMDb, it, it's quite interesting to me. Despite winning numerous awards and being a success overseas, the film was a flop both critically and commercially in its home country of Australia. And I am surprised. And honestly, watching this last night, um, this does not have the feel of a you know, quote unquote, cheesy seventies movie. It doesn't, it has this almost nightmarish quality to it. Well-made. Uh, it's not really, to me, it's not really like a grindhouse type movie. It's more, um, very competently made. Uh, acting is good. You, you really dislike this couple, but it's not like you, you hate them to where, um, so often in horror movies, you're like, oh, I hate that that character. I want them to die. It's not like that in this movie. Even though they're doing things they shouldn't and you don't really like them, it's not a, um, oh, I hate these characters. They're po- poorly written and poorly acted. It's not that at all. They're um, just a real human couple that's going through just going through marriage things. And it makes sense, uh, especially when, when strange things start to happen. How would you react? What would you do? Uh, especially if you're with someone that um, that you're at odds with. So um, anyway, uh, some other notes here on IMDb is uh, production shoot for this movie went for four and a half weeks. And again, this is essentially two uh, two people. There's a couple other people towards the beginning in a little quirky little Australian bar. Uh, but honestly, the the movie is carried by the two lead actors. And uh, I'm uh, quite impressed. I they did a great job. Um, in fact, I guess I could. I always seem to butcher names, so I'm. I apologize right off the bat. But uh, John uh, Hargreaves is Peter, and Brianne Bahitz is Marcy. Uh, Marcy. I if I pronounce the names right, great. I have a feeling I butchered them. But oh well, whatever. I don't care. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, a couple other notes. Um, uh, cinematographer Vincent uh, Morton said that the weather conditions while shooting the film were eerily 
uh, cooperative. He said when the script would call for a scene with sunny skies, the weather would be beautiful. But as the intensity and strangeness of the script grew, the weather conditions would change to match the moody atmosphere of the scenes being filmed. Throughout the shoot, the weather always seemed to change uh, to suit the scene that was being made. And I don't know why, but that just adds to the uh, the eeriness of, of the movie. I... Ugh. So, um, anyway, I thought that that was just very odd. Uh, the mysterious shadow near Peter in the ocean, he's, he's a surfer and a swimmer, uh, was actually made by a crude structure of trash bags that was being pushed along through the water by Richard Brenner, who was submerged just underneath it. And hopefully that doesn't ruin that scene because that is a really, really good scene where all of a sudden there's this thing in the water and you're not sure, um what exactly it is but it's a it's a cool scene very cool scene and that's in that's low budget filmmaking ingenuity right there um just doing something like that something simple like that uh it is this movie is considered an ozploitation movie uh, which is you just have to know what ozploitation is um i think there there was a documentary not quite hollywood i think it was what it was called about uh ozploitation movies um so Check that one out if you get a chance. It's cool. It talks about how these movies were made um, and just the bizarreness of some of these things. Um, there is a remake, and I have not watched it Watched it yet. Jim Caviezel stars in it as the main uh, the main protagonist, and um, it's it, it was made 30 years after the original, and from what I hear, it is very, very similar. It follows a lot of the same beats as the original, so it's not like a... a one of those silly like Silent Night remakes to where they just take a name and change everything about it. Um, but I would like to see it. Technically, it gets good good marks. So uh, at some point or another, uh, I would like to see that. But um, anyway, uh, there it's, there's a ton ton of notes on uh, on this movie on IMDb. So I'm not going to go through all of them, but I will say that um, very very good movie. Very, very good. I gave that four out of five stars. And um, next up is, and the reason I'm going to do this one right after that one is because it bears a striking striking resemblance to Long Weekend, but it is a lot, lot, lot more cheesy and more grindhousey. And that is 1977's Day of the Animals, directed by William Girdler. And... He uh, he did a uh, several movies here. Um, Asylum of Satan from 1972. There you go. Three on a meat hook. Um, the Get Man. <laughs> and then uh, the two biggies that he did was uh, 1976's Grizzly, about a big grizzly bear, and then uh, 1977's Day of the Animal. He also did a movie called The Manitou, uh, which I have not seen, but I would like to. Uh, but right now I'm focusing on Day of the Animals. Christopher George and Leslie Nielsen are in this, as is Linda Day. Um, so there you go. And uh, I really like this movie. In fact, uh, I've done so many of these episodes, I lose track of the movies that I've talked about. So I will say that there there is a chance that I've already talked about this movie. And if so, oh, well, I'm talking about it again. Christopher George is awesome. And uh, here's why Christopher George is so cool. He was in City of the Living Dead which is a Lucio Fulci movie, and The Exterminator, Enter the Ninja, which I've talked about, Graduation Day, 
Um, and he was also in Grizzly. He's just been in a bunch of cool stuff. And then he was in a ton of TV shows back in the day. Um, I mean, dating, dating all the way back to 1965. But I've always liked uh, Christopher George's acting style. Uh, and he, in, in this one, he plays a good old boy cowboy type, which is odd because Leslie Nielsen, and it's that Leslie Nielsen, he's the... He's the villain in this, and he doesn't quite fit. You don't like him in it. Um, so he he does the the role good enough, but he doesn't quite fit good uh, in that role. I personally think that he would have done even better as the lead, and Christopher George would have been the guy causing all sorts of of problems. So I'm going to read the back of the Blu-ray here, and this is from Scorpion releasing another great great boutique label that has come out with tons of great movies and they continue to do so. Some of their movies are not cheap, especially the limited edition ones, but highly recommend uh, this company. This is another company where where if they release it, even if the movie itself may not be that good, usually the features and the transfers are uh, excellent. And this is no exception. Uh, okay, so first off, the cover of the movie is just great. For centuries, they were hunted for bounty, fun, and food, and now it's their turn. Uh, and the cover is just 70s awesome. Uh, uh, you just have to see it. Uh, the back of the, the Blu-ray here is, uh, I'm going to read the back of it real quick here. Scientists warn that the depletion of the Earth's ozone layer is reaching critical levels particularly in higher altitudes. How critical? Enough to unleash the vengeful wrath of the entire animal kingdom. No human is safe, particularly a group of nature-loving hikers, including Leslie Nielsen and uh, Richard uh, Jekyll from Grizzly, John Cedar from The Manitou, and Linda Day George from Pieces. And that's another movie that um, that is just fantastic. One of my all-time favorite slasher movies. Um, led by their guide, Christopher George, who is constantly menaced by every conceivable mountain-dwelling creature. Dogs, rats, snakes, hawks, owls, mountain lions, and bears are out to send a clear message about uh, carbon abuse. Uh, So, director William Girdler follows up his 76 hit film Grizzly with this echo-sensitive nature-runs-amuck thrill ride. Now see it from a brand-new HD master. Uh, from the original IP to correct scope format for the first time anywhere in the world and the isolated music track by famed composer Lalo uh, Schifrin of Amityville Horror. So anyway, there you go. There's a couple good special features on here, but honestly, the real reason to watch the movie is the fact that the movie itself is just cool. It's cool not in the way that Long Weekend is cool. It's cool in a 70s drive-in sort of way, and that's exactly what this movie feels like. It feels like... Uh, a drive-in movie to where it should be all scratchy and people are throwing stuff at the screens and laughing and uh, everybody overacts or even underacts. Christopher George is a prime example of underacting in this and Leslie Nielsen overacts to the hilt to where it's like, really? This is, um, you're like a stage actor right now. It's it's comical uh, watching him. But you know what? It adds to the enjoyment of, of this weird, weird movie. Um, it's a bit padded, but again, it has everything that you like. If you like 70s movies, it has everything in there that you enjoy with 70s movies. It is rated PG, but 
Uh, it's another one of those PG movies that you're kind of scratching your head like, really? This got a PG rating? It's um, kind of kind of rough for a PG movie. Definitely would have got a PG-13 uh, today. But back then, you know, movies, th- there was no PG-13. And movies just seemed to, uh, some of these movies just seemed to get by. So uh, anyway, I'm going to read a couple notes on the movie from IMDb. Um, the grizzly bear that Leslie Nielsen fights is actually a North American cinnamon bear, which that's odd, but okay. Uh, but there is a big scene where Leslie Nielsen does take on a grizzly bear, and you have to see it to believe it. It's um, practical effects goodness and just in-camera trickery and editing tricks and no CGI to be found here, folks, and I like that a lot. Um uh, anyway, uh, besides acting on screen and being an animal trainer, Susan Black uh, Blackline served as Linda Day George's stunt double for the film. And Linda Day George is, I, I do like her, and she was actually pretty good in this movie, but in pieces she is hysterical. Uh, and you just have, it's, it's like she was purposely trying to be bad in pieces. Uh, and of course that's one of the charms of that movie is the hammy acting. And here she's not near as bad bad as in that one, but it's still, um, the film was sometimes mistaken as a sequel to Grizzly, mostly because it had basically the same plot, uh, same director, production and distribution company, producer and features, Richard uh, Jekyll and Christopher George, who appeared in Grizzly. There was a sequel made for Grizzly called Grizzly 2, um, the concert in 1987, but it never got properly completed and never released into theaters and home video DVD. A work print has surfaced of the film on the internet. That would be interesting to see that, especially from 1987. So we're in the heart of the 80s here, and uh, I would guess that a work print of it is probably pretty shoddy looking. So uh, anyway, this is interesting here too. Susan uh, Blackline played the young swimmer who was the first victim to die at the beginning of Jaws. In this film, she plays the first victim to die as well. So she's a teenage girl in the beginning of Jaws that Jaws yanks down. And in here, she is another victim of an animal attack. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But anyway, so if you go into this movie uh, knowing what to expect, this is a fairly silly 70s movie with some overacting and you know lots of up-close shots of animals staring at the camera or animals growling and snarling and then cut to scared 70s actors running and screaming. You get the idea and you get the picture of what you're in store for. I like that. I thought it was cool. Uh, and it gets a thumbs up. So next up is, is uh, now this one here, I'm not going to lie. Uh, um, and I never lie to you guys. Uh, this one here is not a very good movie. However, it is watchable, especially in its mystery science theater form. And that is Squirm. Uh, That's the way I've watched this movie for several years, actually, before I finally watched the real version of this, uncut, Jeff Lieberman's 1976 worm movie. Now, Lieberman also did Blue Sunshine just before dawn, which is a pretty decent movie. Uh, Code Red released that one and there's a movie called Satan's Little Helper from 2004 that I may have watched a little bit of but I don't really remember anything about it but uh, Squirm and Just Before Dawn are two of his bigger movies Um, this is an Arrow release and so of course with Arrow it is 
stocked to the gills with special features, with a booklet. It's uh, new artwork, and the artwork on the cover makes this look like the coolest horror movie you've never seen. And then you watch the movie and you realize it's this is not Squirm. I mean, it's it's Squirm, but um, it's not what the cover is representing. And that's okay. It's whatever. Um, but uh, the summary for this movie, and I'm not going to spend as, quite as much time on this movie as I did Day of the Animals and Long Weekend, mainly because those are really good movies, and this is really not a good movie. Um, at the beginning of the film, we learn from one of the characters that earthworms can be called to the surface with electricity, but somehow it turns them into vicious flesh eaters. Sure enough, a storm that night caused causes another power, uh, some power lines to break and touch the ground, drawing millions of man-eating worms out of the earth and into town where they quickly start munching on the locals. Yay. Uh, if, personally, I would pick uh, J.P. Simon, uh, Simon's Slugs from 1987, the director of Pieces. I would take that any day over this movie here, but I'm mainly focusing on 70s uh, nature run amok type movies. And this one here still has that um, nature run amok type thing instead of just a creature feature, just because it's you know due to you know the electricity or whatever whatever BS they're coming up with to um, to say that worms are killing people. Budget was four hundred seventy thousand uh, dollars, which is adequate, I guess, for this type of thing. Um, the main difference from this versus the Mystery Science Theater version is that there is some additional gore and maybe possibly a little nudity in this thing. Um, the extra gore certainly does add to its charm because there's a couple of pretty gross scenes that were not in the Mystery Science version. However, the Mystery Science version is hysterical because the acting in this movie is so bad and it lends itself perfectly to to Mystery Science Theater fodder. So... I would advise if you're a fan of of the Mystery Science Theater version, do try to watch the uh, the legit version on Blu-ray. In fact, Scream Factory released that over here in the states. I chose to go with Arrow mainly because of the packaging and the special features in the booklet and all that good stuff. Um, a couple notes here on uh, IMDb. Uh, according to director Jeff Lieberman, there was no trickery used in the scene where the tree falls and smashes through the Chandler's dining room. Lieberman said that it was all done in one take and w- uh, with an actual tree that was cut being released from a crane to fall through the constructed set, complete with the actors on set. Several cameras were placed inside the set to capture the actors literally fleeing for their lives as the large tree landed within feet of them. Quite interesting, if you uh, if you really think about that, that people are risking their lives for this thing that is now a mystery science theater classic. Uh, the inspiration for the film came from a childhood experiment between director Jeff Lieberman and his brother. One evening, the two hooked up a train transformer to wet soil and used the electricity to drive hundreds of worms out of the ground. Young Lieberman noticed that the worms tried to get away from the glare of the flashlight that the boys were using to see uh, by because because worms are light sensitive. This became the scientific basis behind the film and the story of the experiment is retold by the direct, uh, the character of Roger Grimes. Um, another cool thing, and this is old school, uh, camera trickery here. The shot of the worms pouring out of the living room ceiling was actually a reverse shot. The camera was turned upside down and filmed live worms being dropped onto a floor. Uh, that was a mock-up of the ceiling. When the footage was reversed, it appeared as if the worms fell from a hole in the ceiling. And it works quite well. You can kind of tell that something's not quite right with the scene, but it, it does work uh, 
well for an older type movie. Uh, director Jeff Lieberman did cite Hitch, uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds as the film's biggest influence, and I can see that, but this is just cheesy. It's so cheesy, and the acting is so bad, especially the main, uh, the main star of the movie is just terrible, uh, but in a lovable sort of way. You can't hate him. Don Scardino, I believe is his name. Um, and uh, yeah, he was ouch in this movie. Now, he does have a bunch of... Uh, he's a director now, actually. Um, but he's got a bunch of other uh, other credits to his name. But it's funny. He, he directed the incredible Burt Wonderstone with... <laughs> with um, Jim Carrey in it, which is just, just odd. Uh, but anyway, so the movie itself is average, but you should watch it if you're a fan of the Mystery Science Theater version. And it does fall into the nature run amok. And that is going to do it. I had one more, but I'll save that for another time because this is a really fun subject to talk about because there's so many different nature run amok movies. Uh, so that's going to wrap up my show. The first two, Gems in the Rough. Squirm is not, but you should still check it out because it's it fits soft underbelly for sure. You can get a hold of me at eugene-weaver at hotmail.com for any questions, comments, concerns, uh, movies I should watch, movies I should avoid, all that good stuff. And make sure to tune into Movie Freaks, the other show that I co-host with Eric Marner. And we have all sorts of fun over there and glasses clinking with ice and booze and it's a blast, and we have a great time. So listen to that. And, of course, our friends at Cinema Sidekicks. Uh, they handle all of the newer stuff. Every now and then there might be a new movie that I talk about on my show, rarely. Uh, and then they're a little bit more on Movie Freaks. But mainly, I leave it to them to give us the goods on what to watch and what not to watch in the world of big-budget new releases and all that good stuff. So tune into their show they're both on iTunes, just like my myself here. So that's going to do it for me today. Stay tuned for more creature features slash nature run amok in a future episode. And again, thanks for listening. <laughs>